in a world crying out for a top 10 show. John Roca and Matt Nost are here to bring you the top 10. Take it away, boys. Oh, yeah, we are back for another live episode. Well, live, we're recording it, of mm-hmm. the Top Ten Show. I am John Roca. And I am Matt Nost. Uh, we welcome all of you out there listening wherever or watching wherever you happen to be. We hope you're staying safe, washing those hands, keeping six feet away from people. And uh, if your state is opening back up or your country or whatever the case is, still take the precautions. Yeah, know? absolutely, yeah. Take the extra measure because uh, – no one's in a hurry to get anywhere right now. Even if things are opening up, there's still pushback. Like in Texas, the draft house said they're not opening up, even though legally they could if they wanted to. Right. They said they don't have the policy in place to make sure that their staff and their patrons are safe. You're like, yep. good for you. Uh, take the extra time that you need. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's you know three months. Who knows? Yeah, just because just because a state is a state is opening up doesn't mean you can't still get sued uh, by people in that state if they get sick at your place. That's the thing. At the end of the day, you know, there's always lawyers hunting around to look for loopholes in situations, no matter what you sign or no matter what's on the back of a ticket. There are always lawyers hunting for loopholes to sue you uh, and threaten bad publicity on you uh, on your business in exchange for you paying their clients out for getting sick in your place. So yeah, I like that a lot of businesses are like, it's cool. We can open. We're not going to open because we don't want people to get Let's, injured or, or, or sick rather. So I, uh, at least in this country, I read uh, an article the other day in the post talking about the fact that now there's so much that the both sides of the aisle are willing to compromise on now because yeah. eating things that they've been fighting for, for the longest time. So one of the things that Republicans have been fighting for is limitations on lawsuits like that. Yeah. Well, more than likely get it. And it makes sense because the businesses can't take the liability in this instance. It makes all the sense in the world where it's, you know, a caveat emptor. You walk into this knowing whatever fault lies with you. And I think a smarter way in general, uh, the litigious nature of our country is a little bit extreme by a little bit. I mean a lot. (laughs) Well, it's just you have to take into account you're an adult. So if you do that, it's your fucking fault. Yeah. Very good point. It is your fault. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. It's any of that. The the McDonald's warning. I understand why it's there. But the fact that I want a lawsuit to have to warn you that the coffee is going to be hot and just utterly ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, to limit McDonald's and other companies liability from what we all know is a hot fucking drink. Like, it's <laughs> unconscionable. And we have to safeguard adults. Because that curling iron burned my neck. Yeah, yes, it did. You know why? Because it's hot. Curling iron. Just utterly ridiculous. Yeah, that's very true, man. That's just, that's just people which want to get as much money as possible from a situation without having to work for it, man. I mean, it really is. I know there are legitimate yeah. cases. Absolutely. There are. there are legitimate complaints, legitimate concerns, legitimate issues, certainly. But the ones that are created so that these people can make money shamelessly uh, is what ruins it for everybody else, you know? And, yeah, the, the, it, there are people who professionally just sue companies. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. I've heard about these people that like they'll, so drop, they'll drop like a ketchup. Uh, and slip on it on purpose, catch a packs on the ground and slip on them on purpose uh, and all this kind of stuff to try to get money. And it's like, this it's shameless. It's shameless. You know, 
I don't know. I, am I, I'm, I'm too extreme. I think we should, you know, execute those people. But that's my opinion. That's I'm just extreme sometimes in my in my. I, I prefer uh, basically what I understand to be the, the European understanding of that of, you know, you can't sue me for something you know damn well. Right. Shouldn't do or is a potential consequence. Like that's that's why I'm kind of glad I love to ski. But I think the rules of that type of thing were established in other countries and then just basically adopted here. So you can't sue a mountain if you break your leg. Right. <laughs> because it's inherent within the activity. Exactly. A potential outcome. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, nobody could do take advantage of this. So just don't be if it happens, it sucks. But you knew that going into it. This is an outcome. However, yeah. percent wise likely it is. This is an outcome. You are taking that chance. Yeah. Once well, I was watching it. We were watching. Uh, we finished up watching "Making the Cut" last night. The the Amazon one with Tim Gunn and Heidi Klum. And no, no spoilers. But there was near the end of it. Uh, there was uh, one of the people who made it all the way to the last three, and they had to do a pop up shop as one of the as one of the competitions. And yeah. one of the people was one of the people that were criticizing. It was Gunn or maybe it was Heidi when they walked into the pop up shop with this person. They're like, "There's too many ropes on the ground." Now that wasn't that wasn't the one you're talking about. That's not the well. That's the one. Okay, yeah, it's not the finale. It's not the finale. It's the one before the finale. Yeah, but yeah, they're, yeah. They're building on the pop up shop, but the person who qualified is European, right? And that person said, "Yeah, but people know to walk around the ropes, right?" Like, and, and they were well, no, the American sensibility, and so it was that kind of. There was the slamming of the two cultures right in europe they'd be like oh yeah there's ropes on the ground i should be aware of where i'm walking americans are like there's ropes on the ground you should have been aware that where i was going to walk that i might trip over those ropes and that's the yeah. difference yeah well i also think that it was too cluttered she was pointing out the obvious of someone's going to fall down and ultimately is that what you want in your shop is right over this rope aesthetically it may look good but this is a small confined little area uh and you're doing this, and then the other dude had Vogers, yeah, and then the other dude had uh, Taylors, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the person that got cut was my favorite. Really, I don't wow. want to say because that okay. individual had the widest array of interesting ideas and you showed different technique. Totally can't deny that. Yeah. Whereas the two that go on, because uh, Catherine and I watched it, I think we finished it last week. Mm. The two to go on, uh, I was like, they're basically the same individual. Mm. They don't stray from what they do. It's this. This is right. what I am. I I knew that that who was going to win was going to win mm-hmm. after they talked with that individual. Yeah, but it was a good show overall. There were it was. It was. They deserved to be there, but they they had a bunch of good designers. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it too. I thought it was good the way, and but it also gave you a window into how these, how even in the world of fashion, when you're like so desperate to make it, there are still some people who are just limited at what they can design uh, and what they can be successful at designing when they go out of their comfort zone. Uh, and you're right, the guy who, the person who got voted off, um, they certainly had a wide array of abilities, and what they said at the end. That's one of those. That's one of those. You know, when you watch enough reality shows, everyone they leave goes, "You're not gonna. This is not the last. Yeah, you heard not the last to me. Right. I right. believed it. And you rarely see that they actually do come back. That person got voted off. I agree with you. That person will absolutely be back with a lot of things. You know, I think like, so. 
It's like American Idol. You don't have to win American Idol. There's a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth place people who go on to have successful careers. Yeah. You know, that individual is the most unique, brought the most to the table, whereas the other two were interesting. I'm not denigrating, but no, no, no. Especially that final fashion show. There was a clear winner to me. Yeah. It's the two. Yeah. Clear winner. And it wasn't the individual that ended up winning. I was like, if we're just going by this, person right. A crushed person B to me. Yes. Take into context everything else. I wasn't there for the full meetings and for. Right, right. I have to assume Amazon went, ultimately, we need to pay. We need to be able to sell this stuff. Yes. And that was a huge motivating factor. Yeah, I think that's why at the end they went the way they went is I felt like Amazon kind of leaned in and was like, this is more marketable for us than this collection. So go, we're going to put both collections or make their available because my girlfriend looked up the collection of the person who lost. It's up there. That person has a website with their stuff. It's super expensive, their stuff. But the person who won, you know, almost everything is sold out already since the finale so he's like oh okay oh, yeah. you know maybe they were right in who they chose yeah. i don't know uh anyway that's not what this show is is our mini review of making the cut there at amazon prime uh today we're, we're counting down uh the top 10 worst movies we saw in the theater uh and Perfect. that is it's a specific thing not worst movies we ever saw worst movies we ever saw in the theater the theater so, yeah so it's exactly fine you're right exactly because there has been i i sat down and i went through Every year that I could, every year on Wikipedia that has yeah. a list of all major releases since 1984, because I think it was the first year that I can genuinely remember having anticipation and going as opposed to having glimmers of, you know, I think 84 was the first year because I went to like three, four, five movies that year that I can just mm-hmm. remember going, sitting in there, what I had to eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Uh, up until the nice thing is, though, the advent of the internet. I don't stumble into seeing too many terrible movies anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if everybody's like, oh, it's it's got awful. That's the other nice thing about living in L.A., knowing a bunch of people that get to go to the advanced screenings. Yeah. I would ask them, is it worth my time? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Go see that. Yeah. I tried really hard not to include any films that I saw at a screening because I'm not paying the ticket. So when I pay the ticket, it adds an extra level of disappointment and worst experience to it. If I paid for the ticket, because I'm paying to be disappointed in this situation, or and I didn't include any that when I saw the trailers, I knew it was going to be a bad movie. So when okay. I walked in there, you know, it just reconfirmed what I already suspected. Okay. So I tried to be as pure in that approach with my list as possible so that the worst movie experience also had a, a tinge or a lot of disappointment attached to it. As well, so that's a tr- I tried. That's what I. Yeah, you know, I, I, I I thought about doing that too because there's the anticipation factor. Yeah, yeah. I left off a couple off of my list for going. You know what? I still find certain moments within it redeemable. Here or here or here, the overall right. work doesn't kill me. Right. Um, there's a lot of anticipatory movies where I was hyped, and you see it, you walk out going, "That was not good." Yeah, <laughs> that was not good. Yeah, exactly. Like a solid, I think six or seven. Yeah. On my list where it's like I went in with not on the final list, on the honorable mentions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, where you go through, but you know, it, I, it's a tough list. Yeah. I, a couple for sure. As soon as I pitched this idea to you guys, like, I know what my number one is. Pretty sure I know what my number two is. Right. Right. And that's how it ended up in the wash. And then after that, it's like there's, there's 20 to 25 movies that I yeah. wrote down just being disappointed in whatever fashion. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was a good suggestion. You, you, we, you came up with it and you get, and I was just like, yeah, that sounds brilliant. This idea of like, uh, you know, cause we're trying, cause obviously we don't have movies to go off of anymore. Cause they're not being released right now. So we're trying to come up with these kind of interesting topics, interesting approaches to the show. And I like this idea because we're not exactly shitting on the movie necessarily of a genre we're sitting we're actually kind of expressing our disappointment and any number of movies can be in contention for this so i like oh, yeah. the wide variety of possibilities uh, uh looking at or compiling this list overall so um all right uh matt you want to tell them how the show works once we set a topic we go our individual ways and create personal top 10 lists show back up here i do my bottom three he does his bottom three i do my next two he does his next two then we trade one apiece. Once we have revealed our personal top 10 list, we create the shows between the two of us. Boom. For old time's sake, that's a good one. Uh, so, all right. What do you got, bud? So as I'm sure is the case with your list, mm. a lot of things we're fighting out of 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. Dude, yes. There's like 20 so, other 10s. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, I went, I deviated from, and I picked one that was a little bit random compared to a bunch of the others. Okay. So at 10, I chose Funny Farm. Oh, the Chevy Chase one. Uh huh. Oh, that's good. Good choice, man. Dude, good choice. I went in. So, Fletch and Spies Like Us, I saw, you know, Spies Like Us, I saw in the theater. Fletch, my brother was a big fan of, and I saw, and then it was on like, you know, cable or something, and I saw it a bunch of times. And then Caddyshack, I had just fallen in love with. And basically, Chevy Chase was in the upper echelon of, dude, I think this guy is hilarious. It's like him, Eddie Murphy at that time. Sure. Uh, a couple other guys. And then I went and saw Funny Farm and I walked out and was like, dude, there wasn't a laugh to be had in all of it. It was dumb, like the dumbest of dumb. His his dry sense of humor yeah. were on sight gags and, and bullshit, just utter bullshit. He was an unlikable character. I walked out going, I don't know if I like Chevy Chase as much anymore. <laughs> I bet you Chevy Chase walked out as well. Oh. <laughs> I don't love well, that was, myself anymore. Yeah, that was a sign of the times because after that, it was Pretty much dud after dud after dud from oh from, yeah just started this downward spiral. Whereas before that, man, I thought that guy was aces. Yeah, I mean, I I wasn't a, a spies like us fan. I know there are people who are who like, and I'm not a Three Amigos fan. I know there are people who love both oh, of those movies. All timer for me. All yeah, see, see, I know, I totally get it. People really really love it. It's just not for whatever reason. It doesn't do it for me. Uh, so when I saw Fletch lives in combination with those three films, I was like, oh man, this is. This feels like we might be near in the end. Not that Flesh Lives is necessarily a bad no. movie. It's got its moments. That it's like. got its moments. Certainly a watchable movie. And Julianne, uh, uh, I forget her uh, her last name. And she's very, uh, you know, very cute in the movie and whatever. Uh, Mrs. Uh, uh, Springsteen, former Mrs. Springsteen. She's very cute in the movie. But overall, it's not as good as Fletch. Uh, so you're like, no. okay, where it is. But then Funny Farm, I went to see it with my dad, I remember. But I'd already seen some films I didn't really like from him. So I wasn't as disappointed. I was just like, oh, my God, this is terrible. Oh, He's done. He's finished. And sure enough, I was, you know. Me and my brother were both excited for a new Chevy Chase movie coming out. Yeah. And saw the trailer, and it looked like it was going to be fun. And I just couldn't believe it walking out. <laughs> and then it just cemented what we discussed you know, momentarily yeah. a moment ago. Um, it was a lot of string of mediocre to terrible from Chevy for the oh, yeah. future. Yeah. Get a lot of that too. Yeah. All right. So what's your number nine? Uh, nine is Transformers Age of Extinction. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> for this, for this. Now, you had to come from. You had to come for one of them, didn't you? Well, kind of, kind of. Yes, <laughs> Revenge of the Fallen is crass and racist. Yes, 
And it's it's pretty brutal. That was close to making my list. But Age of Extinction was the last one. I got talked into it, mm-hmm. buddy. And he's like, dude, robots riding dinosaur robots. We are going to this. And we would go to the Thursday night midnight screening of whatever the newest thing coming out we'd both be excited about. Did it with another movie that's shortly going to make my list. And uh, as bad as Revenge of the Fallen was, this, to take 100-foot-tall robots, and I am bored out of my mind. Yeah. The movie takes forever. It, for no reason, apropos of nothing, goes to China other than they want to, to guarantee that the movie can open in China. Yep, Absolutely. Exactly. So if they do a positive spin of everything Chinese, and then you have the Chinese product placement, like with Tucci is drinking very specifically right into the camera, <laughs> a drink I've never seen before. And the the movie is just a muddy garbage that you walk out, and I just I knew it was going to be bad. It was worse than I thought it was, and it fully cemented, I hate what Michael Bay... The first one, there's there's something there. I'm not the biggest fan of it, but there's something there. Right. And to spin out and out of this, I didn't see last night because after Age of Extinction, I am out. Bumblebee, I wish that they made as much money because that is the direction I'd love to see this franchise go. I don't disagree. The bayification is coming right back. No, it is. It is absolutely coming right back. And so are the millions. So are the maybe possibly billions. Uh, But I will say this. Age of Extinction is one of those ones I don't mind as much. I know it's insane. It's crazy. You got the Dinobots. You got Tucci, you got China. You got, I think Kelsey Grammer's in that one too. He is. He played, yeah, it's Secretary of State or something. Yeah, something like that. But it, 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 you know, what I do with all these movies, and I've said this before, I get super drunk or super high before both for any of these movies, so I can just go in and enjoy the experience. Uh, as mm-hmm. Matt once said on a clever movie talk, of the keys jangling in my eyes because that's basically what it is. It's fun. It's stupid. It's throwaway movies. Uh, and I enjoy the living shit out of them for whatever reason. Uh, and uh, so, you know, they're not great movies, of course, and not good movies, even some would argue. Uh, but Age, Age of Extinction, I thought was okay. Uh, and then um, and then last night happened, and I was like, if this keeps going, it's going to be way more bonkers than you can possibly imagine. And uh, more and more people are going to miss. So I get it. Is, is last night boring? Because Age of Extinction is boring. By the time they get <sighs> It's like two hours and 15 minutes in and I don't give a fuck. And I know that it's like, oh shit, we have to spend a minimum amount of time with these characters. So this movie isn't even close to being done. I don't know. I don't know if last night is boring as much as it is. It probably will offend you, dude. I mean, because of the fact that they, that they go from the King Arthur times to modern times through transformers being there at King Arthur's side to fight against the hordes of because Merlin made a deal with the transformers and Merlin is a drunk Stanley Tucci in the movie. And he makes a deal with the transformers to use this sword so that they can destroy their enemy. Arthur can destroy his enemies. So basically Merlin's magic comes from the transformers that have crash landed on earth. So, so what the Decepticons are helping the, yeah, they help the evil side of things. So the so they so the Transformers and Decepticons have been fighting uh, for numerous uh, decades, centuries, and then of course they jump to Nazi times. And the Decepticons are a part of the Nazis, like a lot of the a lot of the uh, um, uh, carriers or whatever were uh, transform were Decepticons that were carrying the Nazis in the war and into places and whatever the tanks, you know, all of that were Decepticons. And then of course the Transformers find a way to break them down because they break the code. And that's how they destroy the night. It's just it's 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 so 
fucking bonkers, man, that like you got to have a certain love for that kind of lunacy to enjoy it. Um, but over, yeah, I don't know if you would like, cause uh, Anthony Hopkins has a 15 minute monologue in the middle of the movie, like explaining the history of Transformers and Decepticons oh. throughout the whole thing. I, I would love it. Absolutely love it. If the Decepticons and Nazis wanted to pair up with them, Decepticons are like, no, <laughs> Dude. you do work for the Decepticons. And, yeah, right. Oh, Even right. Not- I go see the movie for that. Even we're not that fucked up, man. No, exactly. Way. Like Starscream, be like, hell no. Just that scratchy <laughs> voice. Just boom, cuts to the next war. <laughs> Those guys are crazy, man. Yeah. Oh, this is, this is terrible. That's bad even for us. That'd be brilliant. All right. What's your number eight, man? <laughs> My number eight is A Good Day to Die Hard. Oh, the Bruce Willis film. Uh, see, the last one set in ah, Russia. Dude, yeah. It's, fu- it's so same. Oh. His, his name's Eric, but he goes by Razzle. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and he, you know, we went and saw the midnight of that, and it just killed <laughs> it to me that Die Hard could be good again. Right. Right. And now they come out with the, Bruce Willis has been a string of, I don't give a shit, be, you know, straight to DVD or straight to streaming now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So I just assume. Yeah. The next Die Hard is going to be roughly the equivalent of that. You're just slapping the name Die Hard on it because the Russia one, it makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, yeah, it goes no. right into a plot that is convoluted and it gets to the end and you just hate the fact that you surrendered 100 minutes of your life. To yeah. Man, it just, it kills all the goodwill of the first three, four, even four movies. I don't mind the the Justin Long. Yeah, I don't mind that one either. I don't know it's either. fine. It's yeah. it's rewatchable. Yeah, it's watchable. Uh, what is it? Live free or die hard. Yeah, live free or die hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I can watch that again. But yeah, and the thing is, dude, I, I agree. I, look, I, I it didn't make my list because so many of my friends had gone to see it ahead of time and it told me how terrible it was. So I knew, I, but I went in going like this: it can't be as bad as people are saying, yeah. right? Because those same people bashed live free or die hard, uh, and so I was like, eh, maybe it's not as bad as people say. Plus, I like uh, what's his face, uh, Jai Courtney. I, I enjoyed him in Jack Reacher, so I thought, oh, okay. this, this would be interesting. His son, oh, cool, I like this. And then you're like, like the first five to ten minutes of the movie is actually pretty fucking good, and then it completely leapfrogs. All, I mean, sorry, uh, belly flops off a cliff completely because you're like, yeah. why is he going to Russia, and how the hell? Can he navigate the streets without a map in a city he's never been before to yeah. escape these people? I'm like, you're what insanity is this? Yeah, oh, you're not uh, a police officer anymore. You're yeah. a superhero. Yeah, right. You're That's Dom John McClane. Yeah, you're Dom Toretto. You're not John McClane anymore, right? Yeah. The the very early on when him and his son get captured and they get zip tied. Now I've watched mm-hmm. enough things where to get out of a zip tie, you pull it as tight as you can together with your wrists like this, and then you push out. Right. Snap a zip tie. But they've got, I believe, side-to-side wrists, and it's not even that tight. And he just – they've been sitting there for a long time, almost died, almost died, and he just whips his arms out like he fucking broke a zip tie. You're like, no, that's not John McClane, man. John McClane's not a super – and that's, I think, at minute 12. Yeah, yeah. That's where the rest of the movie is that. It's, it's yeah. utterly hyperbolic, and you're like, dude, you destroyed the, yeah. uh, the essence of the fucking character – by trying to make a quote unquote cool looking action movie, it's just like utterly ridiculous. It'd be the equivalent of them doing it lethal weapons. Like this doesn't happen. This this is real world, not action right. movie world. 
Well, and you took you took the, all the wrong lessons from the fourth film, right? You took all the wrong yeah. lessons because you're like, oh, we can get away with John McClane on top of the wing of a jet jumping yeah, onto a which was ridiculous. Which it was ridiculous, but you're like, you know what? I'll allow them this one because they it's built. John McClane, and it's okay. They built to it right, exactly. Yeah. But this, when they went to Russia, and you're just like, wow. The helicopter, like all that, you're just like, this is just lunacy, utter lunacy. That makes no sense. This guy was saving his wife at Nakatomi Plaza uh, in a small, and now you're going to have him doing this crap. You're killing the character, which is why the rumors are they're going to go and do a prequel. So, but I don't know how you do a prequel, Matt, because I'm like, without Willis? Yeah, well, yeah, also, but also like the fact that he did this. Against all odds at Nakatomi Plaza is what is the charm of the movie. If you now make it seem like in the prequels that he's been doing this a number of times, then there's no charm to Die Hard. That's the risk you take by making a prequel of this. He would have been, now we'd have numerous instances, like when he's uh, flirting with that girl in two at the airport. Oh, yeah, right. With the information desk or something, very like a kiosk. It doesn't exist in an airport anymore. Yeah, yeah. And he wants to send a fax because he's got the dead fingerprints from, I think, I believe. Right. Right. He's like, starts hitting on him and he has to do the wedding ring, you know, ring finger thing. And he's like, eh, just the facts, ma'am, just the facts. <laughs> That's what he says to her. But there's a charm. Whereas now it's an implication of maybe she knows him because he's been on national news several times. Right. Right. Having pulled off the impossible. That's true. Maybe they just make him like a above average street cop. Like he took down uh, a, a good gang or something. That but, I can accept because you can go back yeah. to that like a cartel or, or a, a Russian gang or something like that. Yeah. They're in New York. And maybe that's the reason why him and Holly were having marriage issues because she took a job in California because she didn't want to deal with the fact of the stuff he was pulling in New York. If you keep it yep. street based, I agree with you, Matt. Keep it street based. That'll be interesting. You start making yeah. it like he's been saving people out of burning buildings, burning skyscrapers. Then uh, F it. I'm out. Like it doesn't make yeah, sense. That- a skyscraper that was taken over by terrorists and the top floor on with news cameras there exploded yeah. for everybody to see the video footage. Yeah. yeah exactly. if he did something like that before, we would all know his name. Yeah, exactly. So, and so would everybody at the party. Everybody at the the party terrorists would the know. The terrorists would know his name, right. His freaking name. It would come up when they're doing research about who works there, who are their spouses. Oh, shit. Right. Her husband is John McClane. Yeah. Well, maybe we pull off this white-collar crime somewhere else that we're right. discussing is, you know. Uh, trying to let our various terrorist brethren out of jails. It is. Yeah, right. There's no way robbery. There's no way Dwayne who got butt fucked on, on national television doesn't know who John McClane is. If you've got this prequel where he's done these kinds of things before. So yeah, it's a, it's a dangerous line to walk. Uh, anyway, um, that was your eight. So right. uh, my number 10 is uh, X-Men three, the last stand. That is just okay. a, a horrific experience. Cause at the time, I was into Ratner. I liked Ratner as a director. Uh, I thought this was cool that he was t- kind of taking over, taking over Brian Singer. The trailers were great. So I was like, oh, this is going to be great. The continuation of the Dark Phoenix storyline. Uh, he's a great action director. Uh, so this could be fun. Mm-hmm. And, man, the disappointment while you're watching this movie. You're like, yep. none of this makes any damn sense. You pissed away the black, uh, the Dark Phoenix storyline. You pissed away what could have been a very interesting uh, uh, I- I- introduction to new mutants coming mm-hmm. in. Not, not the new mutants, but new mutants being a part of the X-Men, the younger mutants, all of that, and the evil mutants as well. You just made it, you just pissed it all away. You gave Storm some sort of uh, 
matriarchal role that she didn't really have at all through this whole movies. Uh, and it just, all of it just, and even looked like Hugh Jackman was like, I can't believe I'm in this. I'm going to do my best, but I can't believe I'm in this. Um, and he's been in some bad X-Men movies. And even he, it looked like he felt like he was, he knew he was in a bad one while he was making this. So overall, and I remember just walking out of the theater going, Oh my God. And the fact that it made over seven, it was like the highest grossing one of the three was it really added, yeah added more insult to injury you know about the situation so yeah, yeah. It, was, it was just such a disappointment and such a terrible story and because x1 and x2 are incredible movies so you go into this one and you're just like oh man wow just killed it killed it yeah i see i knew going into it that it was terrible i still saw it yeah i hated it too but i knew so it's the expectation level mm-hmm. uh yeah. so uh, you know, it didn't make my list. It didn't even make consideration. Another X Men kind of did, but I ultimately did not. Yeah, I, I was between me between this one and uh, another X Men movie. Yes, as well. Uh, that I almost put on here, but I chose. Well, did any other X Men movie make it? Uh, no, it did not. Okay, so Origins Wolverine. Yeah, Origins Wolverine. Yeah. That was the battle between these two. Uh, but X three had farther to fall than X Men Origins Wolverine yeah. did. Even though I hated that experience in the theater. Oh, scary. But yeah. now knowing who Deadpool is, that's why Wolverine, like Origins, made a close run with it. A, you fucked up Wolverine. Right. And then B, you destroyed, utterly destroyed mm-hmm. one of my now favorite superheroes, who I didn't read in the comics. You know, he he was created after I stopped reading. Yeah. Uh, but talk about not having a handle on your source material. Yeah, yeah. Which you know splashed across the page, but going into it, I had such low expectations because X Men to me is it's rare if they get it right. Yeah, true, very true, very true. Um, all right, so then my number nine is a recent one: uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. I have to say, okay. um, I know Last Jedi wasn't um, you know uh, it split the fandom, so to speak, kind of like that whole kind of hold those uh, split in that carrier. It totally split the fandom, um, but JJ coming back. Um, you know, everyone being excited about JJ coming back, all the actors talking about how they felt like they were home again, all, you know, casting Carrie Russell, Richard E. Grant being a part of this thing. Um, and all the trailers look damn good. I was into it and it seemed like he was going to come back in and kind of repair what, uh, uh, Ryan Johnson had done uh, a little bit or retrofit what Ryan Johnson had done a little bit, but I thought retcon. Yeah. But I thought he'd honor and respect, what Ryan had laid out, you know? Um, and, but as you're watching the movie, you're just like, Oh wow. Oh my God. From yeah. the opening crawl. Look, and the thing is we're talking about worst movie experiences. The reason it's worst movie experience is because I'm a massive star. Wars, I'm a big star. Wars. I don't say massive. But I'm a big okay. star Wars fan. And I enjoyed force awakens. I certainly enjoyed the last hour and a half of last Jedi. And I thought, okay, this could be fun uh for rise of skywalker right you're gonna give finn some more stuff to do you're bringing back billy d williams to play lando like sure. all of this is gonna happen we're gonna find a way to weave princess Leia. and so i had and i like jj's movies for the most part i don't know he's maybe had one or two that i didn't quite 100 percent like but overall he's got a good track record with me so i went in thinking oh he's gonna repair everything it's gonna be fine 
But what he ended up doing and what the writers ended up doing to that movie, I thought was so disappointing. And I, by the end, I was just laughing. By the end, I was laughing inside. And I just said, man, what is happening here? What, why, why'd you give Chewie the medal? What the hell? Why did you, why you give Chewie the medal? Like, I just, so much from the beginning of like the dead speak. Oh, screw it. I'm out. Uh, so throughout, it just was so disappointing. And the bones were there for a good movie. And it just was bloated. Uh, and, and and the double whammy of Matt of it being bloated yet didn't explain a lot of the ultimately important no. plot points they decided to put in it. See, yeah, the, I love that Palpatine didn't know that they were a force dyad or whatever, <laughs> even though technically he is Snoke and Snoke comes to that assumption in the throne room, yeah. his own, that they are intertwined. Yep. Uh, I'm just like, OK, well, the emperor didn't didn't know about that, huh? Yeah, I, I was out on the movie in the theater when they go to that ice planet, right? Yeah. There to get the plans or whatever it is. And so Pose at the, the driver's seat and, and Finn is getting whatever, the attachment, whatnot. And Pose announces, oh shit, we've got TIE fighters coming in. And Finn is like, oh, we're almost done. We're getting there. And then he pulls it off and he sends the tube up and he stops to ask the guy up there who do we have to thank for this? Like that even fucking matters <laughs> in this instance, because if you get blown up, your actions are utterly fruitless. Right. So fuck out and contact him the same way you did beforehand. Yeah. How you got the information, find out that way. Just, yeah. But they waste an extra like 10 seconds, 12 seconds. Be like, I don't know. It's a, a they've got a mole in the first order and be like, well, that's really convenient <laughs> to have that. Just announced to the audience. Oh my god! Yeah, when it was Hawks, I was like, "You gotta be effing kidding!" I know they, they destroyed that character. Yeah, and then they kill yeah. him, and you're just like, "Oh, well, whatever, man. What's the way?" Yeah, they, that's what I mean. Like, just they present these characters, they didn't follow through with them, and then they took, they gave them cop out endings or cop out resolutions, and you're just like, because then when you read the book or whatever, it's been reported the book that she is the she is the daughter of a clone of Palpatine. So you can tell me the clones now can procreate. And you're just like, okay, all right. You know, all, yeah, overall, it, it just, it was she, so disappointing, man. She should have died. Yes. To me is, had they done that, that would have been the bravest decision for yeah. Wars. Yeah. Most interesting. And when it's solo, it's like, Oh, I don't. Yeah. The dead come back to life just to die. Nobody dies in star Wars. A lightsaber no longer cuts people in half. Right. Right. Like, just one thing after another, after another, like who are my, my parents in the second movie? It doesn't matter. You're nobody in the third movie. Oh, look at here. It doesn't, <laughs> it's like, it, I didn't have the expectations Yeah. when they're talking about going into it, that, Oh, they're going to solve and answer all these questions. You just knew that they weren't. Yeah. So I, I, my expectation I level. Believe, I, I hear you. So JJ, I thought JJ was going to solve it. And clearly it was my fault for thinking that. Uh, all right. My number eight then is, um, Fantastic Beast: The Crimes of Grindelwald. The uh, the second one. Is that the, the second one, because the first yeah. one I, I didn't care for. So. Oh, okay, okay. I, I liked the second, the first one because uh, I thought the romance between. Uh, oh God, I forgot. Uh, really, I, I it's his friend and that and other girl. Yeah, Goldie and the other guy. Yeah, that romance is great. But they're secondary characters. They don't have that much screen time, and they are the best in the movie. They, oh. I, it's not they, even. They are, but I, I did enjoy Eddie Redmayne in the movie. I didn't. Enjoy, I enjoyed his relationship yeah. with the animals or with the creatures and whatever. So I thought it was a nice first movie to kind of because remember that first Harry Potter movie isn't as great as people 
like True. to remember it is. It doesn't tell Azkaban that it really takes off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like to me, I thought, okay, this is a good origin movie that to lay down the groundwork. They don't have a novel to base this off of. It's just a pamphlet that she wrote in addition to the overall series. So uh, uh, this is this, they did a good job. It was laying out a little bit of the groundwork and the Eagle stuff was cool. I thought uh, Ezra Miller did a nice job. I thought Colin Farrell, the switch with Johnny Depp. I thought that was brilliant. And then you jump into the second movie and they absolutely laid an incredible egg. Just took a dump on the Harry Potter franchise completely. They pissed away the Johnny Depp care. They pushed away Grindelwald. They pissed away. Uh, you bring in Jude Law and make him Dumbledore. And then you're just like, don't do much with him at all. Uh, there was, it was over long. And then you break up that relationship. And you're just like, well, what was th- the thing that was magical about the first one? Now you're going to make her like easily sus- uh, susceptible to the evil dude's words like she's some kind of weak-willed character like i just didn't understand the logic of it at all and what they did uh so i just was i was so mad and i remember uh that i was like if i i god i really want to walk out but I, this is such a train wreck you gotta go all the way to the end and that was man it just was so disappointing on so many levels man so i fell asleep, many I fell asleep yeah. streaming it at home in the first 10 minutes on the yeah. second because i didn't hear the first one so i put it on there was like in a carriage yeah. or something's getting attacked and I fell asleep. That's all I've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's just crazy. Uh, so yeah, that's my eight. Uh, let's move on. What's your number seven, man? Seven is deep impact. Ooh, wow. Okay. Because I was cheering for the cataclysmic event at the end. I hate every character in it. I, I mean, I fuck, I loathe a couple of them. <laughs> Yeah. So when it was finally coming, I was like, please do me a favor and kill about 80% of the cast that I've seen so far because they all <laughs> so annoying. I was rooting for the death of humanity. That's how much I hated that movie. That's worse. I had no expectation because I was like, oh, there's two of these movies coming out. And as yeah. much as Armageddon, at least it's enjoyable on some level. It is. It's an action movie that doesn't make any logical sense. That's fine, but it's an action movie, whereas Deep Impact tries to pull at your heartstrings and create these complex, compelling characters, but everybody's terrible and is whining. And, you know, instead of going softly into that, you know, dark night, yeah, <laughs> they're pissing and moaning about it. And just, I didn't, Oh man. Yeah. Like, Lily Sobieski and Elijah Wood take them out. Taylor Leone and like with a strange relationship with her father and like, yeah. her mom and the, the news and network that she works at the woman that wants the position on it that Taylor Leone gets because she's the one that discovers that Ellie extension level event and fucking she gives it to the other woman. But I thought that let the daughter live. You can die. And it's just like one after another. I, I hated the fucking movie. I <laughs> well, I don't, uh, I don't disagree with you. I'm not a big fan of deep impact. Certainly prefer Armageddon way more than that. I didn't hate it as much as you did, though, that's for sure. But I, I totally get it. I did not like Sobieski and Elijah Wood either. They were just annoying little kids. Um, and I was happy as well when they got to kind of, you know, uh, when they were close to being taken out if they hadn't climbed that mountain. Um, but I didn't mind the Taylor Leone storyline. I actually didn't mind that because, like, she's a good actress. I like her. I like watching her. She is, she's, she's I watched compelling. Madam Secretary, for Christ's sake. Yeah, yeah. She's a compelling actress. So, and Maximilian Schell is one of my favorite old school actors the guy playing her dad. So I kind of liked that little bit, but overall, yeah. And then Morgan Freeman does a nice speech as the president, but I do, I will not begrudge you. A lot of people do not like that movie. So I totally yeah. understand it. The best shot was 
when they were on the beach and you could see the water receding. Yeah. yeah. And this wall that's coming. And I'm like, hell yeah, let's get this on. Let's kill everybody. Let's fucking kill everybody. Uh, all right. What's your six? Uh, my six is Toys, the Robin Williams. Oh, yeah. I never saw that one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, go ahead. I think it came out of Christmas. Yeah. Robin Williams was full Robin Williams at this point. <laughs> Yes, yes. He had gotten in. I believe this predates like Bicentennial Bicentennial Man and yep. Schmaltzy. I think this was the Robin gets to make whatever movie Robin wants. And, this was, <laughs> and it is terrible. I saw it in the theater and I, I just hated it. Absolutely hated it. I want to say it was like 91 to 92. Okay. I was like 11 or 12 years old. Loved all his previous work. My parents loved them too. And I knew that there were jokes that like I wasn't getting. Yeah. It made me like him even more that he was like, I, it was so much for me to enjoy and enjoy something we all had in common. My whole family who didn't love Robin Williams. And to this day, uh, still, I've, you know, I've gone back and watched clips of him on uh, the tonight show and David yeah. Lef- like that yeah. um, full on. And then saw toys. And I was like, I don't understand why this <laughs> ever made ever made. It makes no sense. The plot is, you know, their family owns a toy company and he's this eccentric man child. And he's got like a sister who's off in her own little world too, but they've constructed this artificial world that they all exist in. And then there's a military component that comes in and wants to turn, militarize their toys. Like that would fucking happen in a million years. And it's, <laughs> it's advanced computer technology. It's like they're parachuting in and then shooting off cannons. And it's like, well, I don't, it's, but it's a, uh, it, it's this jumbled mess of horseshit, schmaltzy, wanting to be deep, and it, it is f- so frustrating to watch. And I've seen it since. Yeah. Just oh wow. Confirm that I still hate it. I, yeah. I hate that movie. Yeah, I've never seen. Is Joan Cusack play his sister? Is that who that is, or who plays his sister? I, shit, I don't remember. Tiny okay. Tiny Liston is on the military side, but he's like, oh, of course, military side. And there's an older white dude that is the head of the the militaristic. Is it Gambone? Is it Gambone? The guy who took over for Richard Harris as Dumbledore? I so. Yeah, I think it's Michael it's Gambone right. in that one. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I, I had seen the reviews for for this one because uh, I think it was in my 20s when it came out. And I and it got such bad reviews, I never went to see it. Yeah. Just, You're right. Joe Cusack, Robin Wright okay. is, oh, it's not Tiny List. It's LL Cool J. That's right. <laughs> Uh, right, Debbie right. Mazar. Oh, yeah. Young Jamie Foxx. Wow, really? Yeah, it's it's got a decent cast, but I was excited. Yeah. And boy, was I. I hate, I mean, because <laughs> I don't get to chew. I was 11 or 12, so it's like movie night is big. We're going to the theater. Yeah. I, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. Uh, you know, my parents love to see movies, but I couldn't convince them to go every week if I wanted to. Right, right. So, wow. All right. Uh, well, I, I I will leave my lifelong commitment to never see that movie uh, intact. You should do that. Continue that. <laughs> um, all right. My number seven uh, is The Godfather Part Three. Okay. Yeah, Good, man. Great choice. Great choice. Dude, I can't even tell you. This was like the end of innocence for me, man, in my 
twenties, um, just going to see this because because the trailers look great, right? And you're just like, okay, it's Coppola's daughter. Coppola's done such great work. He's one of my favorite directors ever. Love the first two Godfather movies. Loved Apocalypse Now. Uh, and it's uh, unassailable. Yeah, I, in my mind, yeah. So, oh my God, he's coming back to do another Godfather movie. This is awesome. It's continuing. So Pacino's coming back to Corleone. Uh, Diane Keaton, you got, and you're throwing Andy Garcia at this time, which is fresh out of uh, the Untouchables, maybe a couple years or three years after the Untouchables. So this guy is like doing great work, and uh, you go, oh man, this is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you watch the movie, and you're just like, oh my Christ, man, what kind of ridiculous shit is this? And uh, I just, I was just dying the whole time. This idea of Michael Corleone all of a sudden wanting. Uh, redemption for himself, I thought was ridiculous. And I thought it was an insult to what Coppola had created with the character because Coppola said in, in numerous interviews that he didn't want Michael to be a champion or a hero in his story. And he okay. was upset that people liked him coming out of the first Godfather movie. So he made him even more brutal in the second movie by having him kill his own brother. Like that's how deeply Coppola wanted people to hate Michael Corleone. Uh, but it didn't work because Pacino is so great in that role that people just naturally love that character uh, and love the brutal decisions he makes to lead the family. Uh, because in the end, he does succeed in trying to get to where he wants to get to. It's just all the bodies of his family that he steps over to get there is mm. the crime of it all. But you look at Godfather Part 3, and he's a diabetic. Uh, he's in full Pacino. They pull me back in. Uh, he's, you know, George Hamilton is in this thing randomly. Uh, and then you have the, the – and Sofia Coppola is absolutely horrible in the movie. Yeah, she's and, terrible. Right? And, and no bash. I mean, look, she's a great director, clearly, but just a horrible, horrible actress. And what was a last-minute recasting, wasn't it? They had yeah. – It was Winona Ryder first, I think – and then Annabella Shora, uh, or Annabella Shora first, then Winona Ryder. But either way, they both pulled out. Winona Ryder said because she wanted to work on Mermaids. She was exhausted, rather, from working on Mermaids. And Shora said she needed a break after having done all these independent films. She needed a little bit of time to do something else. So uh, they, so he cast her, his daughter, right, exactly, at the last minute. And she's horrific in the movie, really kills the movie. There's no chemistry between her and Garcia in any of their supposedly flirty or sexy scenes. Uh, and then you have, uh, you know, as much as I love Joe Mantegna, he's completely miscast in that movie as Joey Zaza. And all around, just you're just like, this is the only good part of the film is Talia Shire. Her Connie is okay. so damn good in the movie because the arc makes sense through the three movies for her. It doesn't for Michael to be sitting there begging a cardinal for forgiveness for killing his brother. All of it, I'm just like, ah, this is this is lame. So I left the theater and I just was, I was, I remember I was super depressed. I sat in my car for like an hour, just like going, like I don't understand. I just don't understand. It's so much wrong with this. How could this happen? So, you know, there you go. That's my feeling on it. Yeah, I didn't see it in the theater. So. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Good. Good for you, man. Uh, smart move. Um, all right. Then my number six uh, and another recent one is uh, The Lion King, the live action Lion King. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I saw those trailers and I'm like, oh, this is going to be excellent because I, I like the animated movie. I'm not in love with the animated movie like other people are. So I yeah. thought this could be like Jungle Book where the where I prefer the live action one to the animated one. I thought, oh, this is going to be great. You cast all these people in it. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's race appropriate casting, which I really supported. And then you go in and you're like, 
oh my God, you just traced the movie. You literally traced the move, the original animated feature. You shouldn't even put directed by on the on the marquee yeah. because you just traced what someone else had already done. You just live actioned it up. And yeah, it made $1.6 billion, so whatever. But it, I, I mean, I remember uh, what 30 minutes left in the movie, I went with Michael. Uh, Michael's leaning over to me and he is predicting every scene as it happens just before it's about to happen because he's memorized the animated movie so well. And so I'm like, it, this is so incredibly disappointing. And um, Mufasa's death is is a joke, is comical joke, seeing him fall like that. You're just like, it doesn't work at all. Uh, and so I just I was just disappointed at the lack of inventiveness, the lack of chemistry between any characters. I mean, Timon and Pumbaa were good. But everything else, the new new song wasn't good. So just overall, I, I, it made no sense to me. Uh, and Donald Glover and Beyonce sound like they were phoning it in. Their lines or recording on the couch uh, at okay. their apartments. It just was bad, man. Yeah, I don't think I've seen a single of the live action. So oh, you haven't? Oh, smart, smart dude. Don't don't. I, it. Perhaps I will see them eventually, but yeah. no. It's like uh, when we did our most anticipated. You had Mulan. Yeah, he said, you don't have Mulan. I was like, I haven't seen any of those. Why would I be excited about a series that I could give two shits about? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. It's like I'm sure it could be great. If it is, maybe I'll see it. But I didn't yeah. see the book and the animated. It's one of my all time favorite Disney animated. It's, you know, it's in the top three for sure. For yeah. Sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like ah, you know, or that's good. Maybe I'll eventually see it. But I prefer what I've already seen personally. Yeah. Yeah, fair point. Um, all right. Well, before we jump into our top five match, we take a quick break uh, and hear from our sponsors. And uh, we'll be right back on the video portion of the show right after this. And we're back. Well, there we go. That was a lot of fun throwing that little uh, trying something new there for the show. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Better than you know, can hear your mouse click in the background. Oh, did they really? Oh, that's, uh, well, I, I could. Go. I assume they could as well. Okay, fair enough. Uh, trying something new, at least. Uh, all right, and we're back, uh, and we'll jump into our top fives here on the uh, top ten worst movies we saw in the theaters. Uh, Matt, what's your five? My five is uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock. Ooh, good choice. Good choice. But all right. I I am not the biggest Star Trek fan, but when this came out. I loved every, I was at the age where whatever movie I just saw was more than likely my favorite movie mm-hmm. that I, in my life because I just love going to movies. It's 1984, so I'm five when this came out. Right. And I hated every second of this. At a time in my life where legitimately whatever movie I just saw, yeah. the greatest thing I've ever seen, just because your mind is blown away about the amazing stuff that you can see on a cinema screen and the whole experience. And you know, it's like as the lights are dimming, this is the cool stuff. And I get popcorn and I get yeah. soda and I can sit there and love every second of this. And when he is like the angsty teenager who's screaming and the, <laughs> the world cavitates with him, I, I, I know I didn't have the thought, but I had the feeling of, I wish this was over. I want to leave. <laughs> But struggling because I love movies so much. Yeah. And it was the first time I ever had that experience. And I've, I've, I've gone back to rewatch that scene that I hate so much. And it makes me hate it just as much as the first time I saw it. It's amazing. I have like <laughs> visceral Pavlovian response as if the, my fucking mouth starts salivating or something. I hate that movie. And it, just, <laughs> it gave me a bitter truth about films. Sometimes 
it happens. More often than not, you're going to at least enjoy yourself. Sometimes yeah. you're mind blown thoroughly was, you know, can't wait to see that again. Yeah. But on occasion, you do see something that makes you hate it. And boy, boy, did I hate that movie. <laughs> Is it, I don't, obviously, I don't hate it as much as you do. It's a, it's a, I don't hate it at all, actually. I think it's an interesting bridge between uh, two and four. Uh, because I love two and four so much. Oh, I love two and six, really, but four is good. But three is the one that's like, okay, we got to go through this to get Spock back, right? That's the that's the exchange for bringing him back. You recast uh, Kirstie Alley uh, because she wanted more money and they didn't want to pay her more money. Uh, and then you um, make Kirk like have a whole separate mission without Spock through the entire movie until the end, right? And so... Um, I get why people might not like this one that much. Uh, but, and Christopher Lloyd is a pretty cheesy Klingon. It's got to be said. There's okay. not a, there's not a scary thing about Christopher Lloyd as the Klingon in this movie. So uh, I totally get it. It's not, it's certainly not one of the strongest uh, Star Trek movies. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> what do you got a five? Uh, Rocky five, man. Okay. Dude, 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 man. Hey. You go. I need you to rest real quick. Yeah, yeah sure, sure, sure. Uh, I I can't even tell. Like having seen, uh, you know, Rocky three in the theater, Rocky four in the theater. I'd seen Rocky one and two on TV, so I was a massive Rocky fan. And going into Rocky five, I remember I the trailers and you know the go for it. He cast his son in the movie. Everything about it was like, oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be awesome. Uh, it's been a little bit since four. What's always dealing with like the the idea of uh, brain damage, right? Oh, this was this was kind of new back then in the nineties of with with athletes, the idea of brain damage, you know. So I was like, oh, this could be a compelling thing that kind of echoes to what we saw in the first movie. Uh, and you're bringing back the director from the first movie, John Alvinson, that won an Oscar with it. So I thought, oh, this is going to be fantastic. And the experience of being in that theater and watching your hero go through the crap he went through and watching Stallone play him in an, in an essence, a glorified TV movie was maybe one of the most uh, difficult things I've ever had to endure in a movie theater, watching your hero uh, just get destroyed by his own franchise. I just was so shocked that they went this route. I was so shocked that it was the director from the one who that won the Oscar for best picture, the same director was directed. Like it just showed you that whoever was in charge of this thing completely, completely shit the bed and miss uh, understood the audience that loved this movie. We didn't want to see Rocky fight, ignoring his son uh, for somebody else. We didn't want to see Rocky fighting in the street. We didn't want to see any of that bullshit. Uh, and so thank God they went forward. Although I'm not a big fan of Rocky Balboa, at least they went forward into the Creed movies, which is really where uh, he is back to life again as, as, as uh, Rocky Balboa. But yeah, Rocky five was like the end of the innocence for me, man. I just was like watching that the whole time, super depressed at how much I was hating it and how much I was trying to convince myself to like it. Um, and so, okay. and, and I only ever watch, the 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 fight at the end just for shits and giggles, okay. you know, because it's like uh, you try knocking me down, you know, and all that. But because you do see the uniqueness that Rocky actually fights like a street fighter at the end of the movie, which is what Rocky was in the first movie. He's a leg breaker, so he knows his streets. He's got a certain level of reputation, so people know not to fuck with him. 
So when he went to resort to those tactics in five near the end of the fight, I kind of enjoyed that because now you're getting the actual Rocky Balboa stripped of the technical expertise and he's uh, back to a street fighter. So, but in the end, terrible, terrible movie destroyed me, destroyed me just driving home, like shocked, just shell shocked. Mm. Yeah. I anyway, saw the theater, but it's, I, I've never been a Rocky fan. Yeah. So there so, you go. Four, four is the best. Yeah. Four is great to me, but, uh, and I thought it was interesting. Like, Oh, he's got brain damage and starting there. And yeah. it's, Used for him to go back to where he was in the original, not as smart because basically he had he had you know gave him more gave Rocky more intelligence as Stallone was trying to craft his public persona, and he didn't want to be known as a guy that a dog like you know yeah. he didn't want to be associated with that solely. So Rocky slowly morphed into who Stallone was, as opposed to staying true to the character. Right, exactly. And then he tries to go back to his roots because at that after four. He had a string of shit movies, and he wasn't the toughest real draw as as much anymore. Right. Like, maybe I go back to like my roots of being a serious, true actor within this role, and then you have like a caricature of Don King and a caricature of Tommy Gunn. Yeah. And his son is unfortunately just brutal. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And also the, um, I mean, do you really think that after four movies of them dealing with Polly's stupidity and? Paulie's like um, bottom feeding uh, attempts to try to make money off the off Rocky that they would sign the power of attorney over to Paulie to handle their finances while they were in Russia. Do you just the stupidity of that possibility in your head is is just just it's it, it's unfathomable to make that kind of story mistake uh, at all okay. and expect the audience to, to believe it. Yeah, well, you know, it makes it convenient then to come back and he's now destitute. And he's back to where he was. Exactly. It, it doesn't make sense other than just a made-up plot point to help you get to one uh, essential part of the story. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. I hate talking about that movie. Fuck, it makes me mad. All right, what's your number four? Four is Vertical Limit. <laughs> nice choice, man. Fucking. You want to talk about a movie that is – like it offends. <laughs> it offends in its artistic choices. Yeah, sure. The the one that so it's the opening scene. It's a Chris O'Donnell. What's her name? That was you know did a bunch of movies and then basically became a TV actress. Yes, 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 yes. And then their dad, who normally plays a villain, he was the villain in Die or Lethal Weapon Three hmm. uh, with Rene Russo. Right, he's the one that steals all the cop killer bullets and all that jazz. Yeah, that dude. And they're on the same line together, and it gets to the point where they're dangling off the edge of a cliff. And it goes, the daughter, Chris O'Donnell, the son, and the, the father's at the bottom of the line. And the father tells Chris O'Donnell, rightly, you have to cut the cord to save your sister. <laughs> the only way. I will sacrifice my life for the two of you. It's perfectly fine. And a mountaineering film makes all the sense in the world. That is a yes. tough would have to make. So she's at the top saying, I can get us anchored in. I can save us. And Chris O'Donnell's like, what do I do? It's either I kill my father to save the two of us save my sister or we all three die. He makes right. the decision. Makes all the sense in the world. The camera then cuts to the fucking dad splatting on the ground. Why did we need to see that? In a million years, why did we need to see that? It's one thing after another, after another. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, it's young uh, Mendelssohn. We've never really seen him before. It's That's true. Yeah. True. But a caricature, a stereotype of an Australian climber, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Him yeah. and another dude. And you got Bill Paxton playing 
just this one dimensional villain CEO. Right. It's it's just one after another. It is it makes it makes me hate mountaineering films, and I love those scenes. I, I I've seen yeah. them. I I love K two and Everest, and I watch all the documentaries. I fucking I've read. 10, 15 different books. Yeah. Good recommendations. If people want to send those in to Topic Thunder, just be a patron of or patreon.com forward slash the top 10. And ask a question, and I'll happily give you a list of 10 great mountaineering books because I've read a whole bunch. And this movie is a dick punch to <laughs> everything that I find fascinating. I like it because I'll never do those things. And that's why I gravitate towards reading and watching it. Just yeah, like, sure, sure. I don't want to be in the death zone at 17,000 feet. That doesn't sound fun. I want right. to be. That sounds interesting. And uh, this movie is just, a, oh, my God. It's yeah. it's an offensive waste of your time. Yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, I, I, I thought it was cheesy beyond cheesy. And uh, that's why I liked it. I think Everest is a better film, obviously, to enjoy. Everest is good. Right? Yeah, Everest is good. But Vertical Limit was just like, it was like uh, Days of Thunder for the, for the mountaineering people. Like, all oh, surface characters uh you know all cheesy caricatures uh robin tunney is the actress you were thinking about it, it would be it would be days of thunder if like they went to the, his crew and they were caricatures of rednecks yeah right hey man would you we'll put that on there with a q-tip and you're like what oh man i mean my my pap has been building nascar since uh, we were moonshining day like okay <laughs> it's it's just yeah. It's fucking offensive is what it is. The fact that that thing got made. Yeah, yeah. And and you know what's crazy? It's Martin Campbell's the director of this thing and Martin Campbell uh has done some good movies. You know, it's like that the one he did the foreigner, the one with him and Jackie Chan, that was a damn That's good true. movie. He, he's done some good movies. It's just what's some of the ones that he hasn't that are that are it's just incredible to see such a Jekyll and Hyde director that Martin Campbell can be. So, you know. Um all right, so then that was your number 4. Yeah. Oh. Cool. So my number four then is Spider-Man three. I thought about it, but I ultimately chose not to. Okay. Uh, I was trying to limit the amount of superhero films, but I failed at it. There's only so many, uh, but I they, they make my list. I mean, they are disappointing experiences. I mean, Spider-Man three, you're coming off uh, Spider-Man two, which is considered one of the greatest comic movies ever made still. Uh, with that, uh, you know, Doc Ock and everything going on in that film and um, the, the interesting and new way they approached villains and then it, this is Sam Raimi coming back to do the third movie. And you're like, oh, this is going to be great. This is so much fun. It's Raimi. Blah, blah. And every worst impulse of Sam Raimi as a director is realized in this movie. Like every terrible impulse that you've seen him get away with in other films, he just makes us because they're covered up by other smarter impulses in those films. He strings them all together in this movie. I mean, all of them together in this movie. Uh, Topher Grace is completely miscast as Eddie Brock. You, for some reason, you put Sandman in this thing with Thomas yeah. Hayden Church. It's not made a choice. Yeah, right. Not menacing at all either way. Uh, you've got uh, uh, the situation with him, and then he becomes like – it's essentially like watching Superman – uh, was it three or four whenever he starts to drink and he's the evil Superman, you're essentially yeah. doing that again with this Spider-Man by having him do the emo thing and, you know, dancing around and being a complete ass. And you're just like, what is happening here overall? And you just keep watching this thing and it just, it lights itself on fire as the movie goes along. And you're just shocked at the amount of 
errors that Raimi did in this movie with his characters who he, he, he took care of in the first two movies really well. Uh, and with the storylines that he had set up in the first two movies, just pissing them all away in Spider-Man three. It's just, it's shocking. It's a shocking film to watch. That's what I would say. Yeah. Going into it. I heard it was terrible. Oh, okay. So it wasn't, I trust, I agree with everything you're saying. It is. There's way too many villains. The story is completely convoluted. The, the evil Bob Fosse scene is easily one of the worst in superhero films. Oh yeah. Exactly. Uh, but I'd heard from, from people that, uh, that saw it before me, they're like, this, this is, this is, <laughs> you can imagine. And I went into it knowing that it was going to be terrible. So that's why it doesn't make, I had no ex, my expectation levels were properly set before I saw it. <laughs> Fair enough. So, yeah. Um, all right. <laughs> What's your number three then? Uh, three is eight millimeter. Ooh, the Nicolas Cage film. Really? Oh, it's okay. terrible. Have you ever seen it? It's so no, bad. I have never it's seen it. So bad. It's he's like a private investigator, and he's tasked with finding a snuff film of a guy's daughter that's get, get gets killed in the snuff film. Right. Joaquin Phoenix is in it, and he's uh, like a clerk at a uh, adult bookstore that kind of has some ins in that world type of thing. Yeah. And then uh, Peter Stormari is the, I want to say the porn impresario that made, he's not really an impresario, but he's the porn guy that made it. And it, it, it is, it'd be one thing if it's dark and it has some underlying message or reason, but it's just dark and disgusting and vulgar because. That, right. Just so to be. It just, yeah. just is. Yeah. And it's, I, I remember walking out, uh, that movie, another one that's going to make my list, and we stripped a friend of mine who chose those two movies from being allowed to choose movies. In. <laughs> so that's why it was making my list. I was like, boom, like this one with the other one. And he lost his right to choose movies amongst our group of friends. Uh, <laughs> don't, funny. if you've never seen it, don't see it. It's literally not worth your time. Yeah, no, I, I, I've heard pretty brutal things about the movie in terms of the, 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 where it's set and what they make the characters go through. Uh, and I don't think, do you get to see the snuff film? I heard you don't, or you do not. No, not really. Okay. Okay. No. But like you, you, you see that it it's becomes been years, mind right. you. it's been years, but I don't recall. Yeah. I hear it's convoluted. I hear it's just dirty for dirty sake or gritty for gritty sake. That makes no sense at all. Uh, and it has no style to its grittiness at all. It's just, uh, it's just presented to you flat out. So yeah. that hasn't appealed to me to go see it or to rent it at any point. So yeah. I, yeah. All right. Fair enough. It's just so weird not looking at all those actors and how much of their work that I love. Yeah. Like, Oh, you made one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> Who directed that one? Who did eight millimeter? Uh, I don't know. Let me look it up. I, th- I want to say by someone. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Joel Schumacher. Schumacher, yikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, hopefully we never hear from him again, in my opinion. Um, all right, so that's your number three. Is that right? Correct. All right, so then my number three is a different Star Trek film than Matt knows Star Trek film. It's Star Trek V. Oh, it's man. Terrible. Man. I mean, you're coming out of four, which, of course, the voyage home is so beloved by many uh, Star Trek fans. And it was a very smart way to bring them back to a modern time 
when the audiences were watching, like, I'm sorry, modern time of the audience that was watching it at that time in the 80s, right? And uh, it was brilliant. It's, it's kind of like City on the Edge of Forever when they go back to the 60s or the 50s uh, to save, try to save Joan Collins. It was very reminiscent of that. And so the jokes are sweet. Everything's cool in, in Star Trek Four, And the whales was certainly a topical stuff with the environment and the whales at the time. All of that just completely worked. And you resolve the uh, res- the issues between Kirk and Spock, the issues yep. with Kirk and the Federation. Everything is great. So you go to Star Trek V, and you're like, wait, what? Uh, God, what? man. God. Oh, I'm sorry. What does God need with a starship? You know, all of that. Then you randomly present Spock's half-human brother, who's been apparently being a, a you know a guru all over the galaxy. Uh, um, and you cast Lawrence Luck and Bill. By the way, Lawrence Luck and Bill, great act, good actor, great actor. But uh, you know, he's the asshole dad in Cocktail. But like this, completely miscast to go toe to toe with Nimoy and Shatner. Um, you, you know, he's converting everybody around him to make him. It just was so fucking dumb, and it had nothing to say about anything. It was trying to say something about religion and about the dangers of becoming too devoted to religion because it, it blurs the line between cult and religion at that point. But it accomplished none of that. And the sad part of it is it echoed what the actually more intelligent conversations uh, that were being had on in Star Trek one about V'ger and the creator and the uh, create and the created thing wanting to meet its creator uh just like blade runner they were trying to and, and when you watch it in five you're like this is phenomenally stupid oh. and you know and and shatner directed it which makes it even worse that one of my heroes directed this movie or one of my favorite characters rather than actors directed this movie it just was disappointing and i've matt i've tried to rewatch that film so many times because i've been like it can't be as bad as i remember oh, it's and, bad. and it's bad man you start you're right. just like oh this is Dude. so boring so after four so three was basically my introduction to star trek oh okay all right see the theater you know con is mine so it's a better start for me i would and so i was hesitant on four and then walking out of four i was like this i love it this is back and that's when i went back and saw the other two right and so i was excited for five but it just doesn't it's not the visceral hate that i have yeah three just because of Three has a distinct place in my memory. Yeah, I can understand. The that. thing is, then they rebound, like you said, you know, years ago, which I didn't realize I'm not as versed in the, the Star Trek yeah. vernacular, the axioms of, but it's the even numbers that are the good. Yes. Because six is great. I think six is a shitload of fun. Hell yeah. Six is just below Khan for me as uh, in the list of the greatest Star Trek films ever made. Six is just below Khan. It's grown in estimation over the last few years because it's it's kind of prescient and it's still topical what they're addressing in six. Uh, yeah. Do you think we're going to have any commonality on our list? No, I don't think so. I don't We've think gone so. through this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, all right. Two for me yeah. is Matrix Revolutions. <laughs> okay. Wow. Okay. I literally it ends and I just went fuck you. <laughs> fuck. You. Who are you to tell me? Fuck you. It's. I mean, the first one is awesome. Yes. The the fact that they're making another one gives me hope because the first. Please recapture some of the magic that you had there. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, the second one, it was all right. Yeah. But you assume it, it suffers from the same thing that most second parts in a trilogy does. It's just like, it's never going to be as fulfilling as one and three. Yep. So, so you, you, you give it a longer leash because you're assuming the payoff from three is going to be so good. Oh yeah. Three gets to the end and just be like, Nope, this has all happened before. Everything that you just saw was utterly meaningless. That character is the same as six or seven other iterations that came before him. You just wasted your fucking time. Go fuck yourself. By the way, you know, just literally so offensive. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, you know what? Piss off. <laughs> and now I don't, you know, unless the reviews are really strong, I I might not see the next one. Because oh, really? Yeah. It's got to be really good because that was such a middle finger to me. Uh, just don't even I don't even care at this point look no one wants to say it because it's not politically correct to say it but to me the new Matrix better be about the younger characters the Matrix is a young film it is meant for characters in their late 20s early 30s it is but we've already seen Keanu on set photos right but the the, the, but they've cast like a young Morpheus a rumored to be the young Morpheus, which I think is uh, uh, Yahya Abdul-Mateen, I think. Um, and they've yeah. cast younger characters. So they're supposed to be a younger storyline rolling through this thing. So hopefully that's what it is. Because I don't want to see 50-year-old Keanu and 50-year-old Carrie Ann Moss you know, trying to slide into leather and play. Like, it just doesn't work for me. So I, I want to see what they do with it. Now, if you get a Carrie Ann Moss that is de-aged, or a Neo that is de-aged in the Matrix, kind of like Jeff Bridges uh, in uh, Tron Legacy when he had that other version of himself, uh, that a clue, I think, that I can deal with. That I can work with, right? But I don't want to see, you know, people in their 50s with, uh, I don't know, I just, it seems weird to me. It's such a well, young uh, franchise, in my opinion. How, how do you even do Neo after he went Christ-like and surrendered himself to Right, right. Like, he's, he's gone. He's gone. He is. He had to kill himself for the salvation of humanity. Exactly. So where is he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. So what, yeah. he re-manifests himself? Like, that's why I'm not looking forward to this. Yeah. Because it's going to be some convoluted explanation as to why he's back. Yeah, is that one of his powers now? Is that what we're yeah, doing? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. But honestly, walking out of this, I was like, I can't believe I was so excited. And it was such a gut punch. Yeah, yeah. I don't disagree uh, with you, man. All right, I don't. What do you got at two? Uh, my two is Batman and Robin. Batman okay. and Robin. Oh, yeah. Oh. Matt, I have yet to finish this movie. It's one of those rare movies that I've legitimately walked out of a movie theater before it was over. Uh, I remember I went to see it with a couple of friends of mine. And, you know, Batman, I liked Batman Forever at the time. It's certainly terrible to watch now. But at the time, I enjoyed it. I thought uh, Jim Carrey was funny as the Riddler. Uh, I like Tommy Lee Jones as Two Face, a very strange, weird Two Face. I thought uh, Nicole Kidman was good. I, I even like Kilmer's Batman and Bruce Wayne. I enjoyed his version of uh, Bruce Wayne, and it had a kick-ass soundtrack. So overall, I thought Batman Forever at the time. Big Seal fan, good. are you? Well, uh, Seal, but also from a rose. <laughs> there's also Massive Attack and a couple other people that are on there that I enjoy. U two has a good song on there. So I, I was like, okay, four. Okay, what are we gonna do here? 
uh, let's see what this is, uh, Batman and Robin. And you're like, George Clooney is Batman? And this is Clooney when he's about to like ascend to superstardom. And you're thinking, oh, this is great. He's perfect. It's an older <laughs> Batman. He could, uh, you know, he totally radiates the Bruce Wayne. I could see him in the costume. Yeah, the nipples, whatever. I don't give a shit. What's the action going to be like? What's other, another uh, Schumacher. And, and, yeah, right. And then Schumacher, I was like, okay. Uh, right. Another Schumacher. Very funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, and then I'm watching and I'm like, oh my God, this is just horrible. See, horrible. Once, once you announce, not only do we have Robin, which as a huge fan of, of Batman, he's the only DC character that I love unequivocally. I'm yeah. out. I'm fucking out. Unless you do like a Nightwing or something along those lines type of deal. Then you add Batgirl. I'm definitely out. Yeah. But was watching it i was like oh shit so basically it's the worst of the 60s tv show now version so i didn't care but you're not wrong this movie is brutal yeah i mean it was brutal to watch as soon as she wins that motorcycle race i left the theater i looked at my friends i said if you guys stay cool no worries uh because we had driven separately i was like "I'm, i'm going home i can't watch this thing anymore i'm done so i got up and i left and i remember and i remember distinctly and you know, Alicia Silverstone was terrible in the fucking movie. Terrible. Uh, and here she's coming yeah. back with a new uh, m- movie right now. And she's trying to play the sympathy card in these interviews going, like, oh, when I was in the in Batman and Robin, I stopped acting after a while because people body shamed me in the soup. No, nah, no. People talent shamed you because you were not that good. You've never been that good. Only Still. clueless is the only thing you've been good in. But like. Overall, the film was just terrible. It's terrible performances all from Clooney, too. Clooney well, flat out admits he's terrible in the movie. Across the board, though. Yeah. Schwarzenegger, yeah. even in bad movies, oh, still enjoy. Oh. he's terrible. Uma Thurman, who's almost always excellent. Yes. Good. It's, it's yeah. across the board. I yeah. don't, her bad acting doesn't stick out any more than anybody else's. That's fair. Absolutely. You know, I think it, a, just they knew they were making a terrible movie. Yeah. Like as it's going on. And they cast her not because she can act. They cast her because she has a certain kind of appeal to certain people and dudes are totally were into her at yeah. the time. So it was a, it was a smart casting in that way, but terrible result overall, you know? So uh, just, I just, just so disappointed, man. So disappointed because at the time, and some of you younger people listening to us might not remember this, but there was a time where like, if you thought the Batman thing didn't work, we weren't going to see superhero movies for a yeah. long, long time. So if it didn't work, you're like, Oh, we'll never get them now. Or it'll be, 20, 30 years from now before another studio takes a chance on a superhero franchise. Gladly, that wasn't the truth. But at the time, that's what you were thinking walking out of a film like that, for God's sakes. Um, all right. What's your number one, my man? Do we have the same number one? I don't know. Be, it would be a miracle. We haven't had any of these correlates. Not a single one. Yep. Uh, the Island of Dr. Moreau. <laughs> no, that is not my choice, but a damn good choice. Dude, damn my good buddy that picked 8mm picked Dr. Moreau, and we're like, dude, you're done. You're fucking done. Island Dr. Moreau, you know what's good about Island Dr. Moreau? Go watch the discussion about how it got made, the on set. There's a, a, you know, more than one behind-the-scenes documentary. Those are fascinating, because it gives you a glimpse as to how terrible everything about this. Val Kilmer was petulant and wouldn't listen to the director. Yep. Marlon Brando couldn't be bothered to learn his line, so he's just reading off a of cue cards, or he's making it up. He demanded that uh, the uh, little person that's part yeah. of Moreau's menagerie demanded that he be in the movie, and they just had to bend to his will. There's bad makeup, bad acting, a, a storyline that could be interesting, but 
you know, they take one of H.G. Wells's novels and they just, they, well, I mean, flat out butchered. Although it'd be tough to find an H.G. Wells, you know, movie that's good. I think uh, Reanimator is the, oh, no, that's Lovecraft. I'm sorry. I think that's Lovecraft. Yeah, because you have yeah. Time Machine, no. Yeah, right. Time Machine's never been good. Um, yeah. War of the Worlds, have any of the world, isn't that H.G. Wells? Which, which one of the yeah, that's H.G. Wells. I yeah, like the Cruise one. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I don't, listen, uh, well, two things to tell you. One, the the Lost Soul, Lost Soul. That's the documentary that they had on Netflix for a long time okay. about the making of. And Richard Stanley is the director uh, that was replaced yeah. by Frankenheimer. I was lucky enough last year uh, at Clyde on the Deep Cut to interview him for like fifty minutes about the new film he had, Color Out of Space, with Nicolas Cage. Um, and uh, we talked about, and he like off camera. There were so many more stories. Oh, about sure. that set. dude it is batshit insane what happened on that set and, uh and everything you just said he completely confirmed yeah and it's in no way it's one of those i now having learned because when i walked out it was one of those you're you're, you're kind of gobsmacked as to yeah. what did i just watch yeah exactly watch that. why was it made like money was spent to make that yeah people took time out of their lives and made that and then when you find out afterwards all the bullshit that everybody put him through and the yeah. studio and all that. It's its one of the times where I don't blame a director for a terrible no. It just seemed like everybody else was terrible around him. It was the yeah. perfect storm of shit. Yeah. And it was the unfortunate eye of that storm. But I don't, you know, he's not the one creating all the collateral damage. No, no. He, he's a guy you should investigate, though, Matt. Because after that film, he went off and lived on a mountain in France somewhere for like 20 years and he was like leading tours of the archaeological he became an archaeologist it was like leading tours of archaeology expeditions all over the place and he's been like pursuing these artifacts to find interesting character if you want to look him up and and see the stuff I think he's got like books and videos and things of his uh, tour but interesting cat very nice cat but yeah you shouldn't blame this guy at all it was all egos and a studio that wanted it to work, which is why they kicked him out and brought in John Frankenheimer. And Frankenheimer was apparently like a drill sergeant, uh, which pissed the car- the the crew off even more. Uh, and so it was just a big shit show all the way across. And I remember seeing this in theater because uh, I remember the original with Michael York that I saw. And I, and I was like, OK, I wonder if this is going to be interesting because Kilmer is still bankable at this time. Yeah. Um, he's I, still I think, huge, right? I think Batman Forever is just either the year before, or the year after, right around that time. Yeah, so he's bankable. And Brando is like off the freshman, the Broderick film he's doing. He's back in the public eye. So you're thinking, okay, there's something here. And then you watch this thing, and it's like, oh man, why, why, why? Just why? You know why? All these egos just tearing the film apart uh, yeah. with their hubris. You well, know. It's like the stories you hear about the the score, the De Niro Ed Norton movie. That oh yeah, had. with Brando, Brando too. Yeah, Brando kicked Frank Oz out. Yeah, so don't take directions from a puppet fucking master type. Yep, he kept calling him Miss Piggy on set every time yeah. he came to give. Oh, just like, well, then why did you sign on for this job? That's why. That's, 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 that's Matt. That's why I see when I see Brando in those like um, uh, fucking um. Test of test uh, depositions or whatever, and he's crying about his kid. He's crying. I'm like, fuck you, man. You were such a dick to so many people. Fuck you, man. You don't get sympathy now. Have you seen the interview when uh, Chris Reeves? It's right at Superman one. He's uh, on David. Oh yeah. And Letterman asks him about Brando, and he's like, "Listen, the guy is straight phoning it in. Like he's not a good actor anymore. <laughs> he, he could be, but he doesn't care. There's no passion." Yeah. And he 
it's, it's an honest assessment of what we come to find out years later is the truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's shocking to see that from a Hollywood, you know, person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <sighs> no surprise, man. All right. So we got a one. Uh, my one is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Man. I've, I thought about it, but yeah, it does have a couple. <laughs> you you stop it right hate. now. <laughs> that thing is a swan dive into a lake of fire. Uh, it was just the, you know, I was, I was so excited because of Crusade. Last Crusade is so good. And you're like, oh, my God, they're coming back together to do a fourth one. Aliens? Okay. Okay, let's see how they make this work. And then you're watching, you're like, oh, my God, LaBeouf is so badly miscast as his son. You bring back Marion Ravenwood, and you don't do much with her. You've got Kate Blanchett in that terrible wig, doing a terrible accent, a terrible performance. And for some reason, you bring Ray Winstone in to be supposedly a friend of his for so long. Yeah. None of it worked. Absolutely none of it worked. And then the Crystal Skull, I mean, the refrigerator moment, then the Crystal Skull, all that kind of, you're just like, this is horrific. I just, was, I, was, I just didn't understand what they were doing. Once again, if you take a character away from what made it appealing, made it charming, and you try to blow out their world in nutty ways, you're going to lose the audience. It doesn't make any sense. Why would he be... I, I think it would have made aliens work for me if it was an ancient thing and they had like really gone back and explored that. If you hadn't decorated with all this other shit that was going on, I think it would have been interesting to see Indy explore that a little bit more. But remember, every movie's been about what? Him confronting something religious and him trying to figure out how to navigate that as a man of science. And so yeah. when you jump into this, this had nothing to do with any of that. And so I don't know. It's overall just horrific experience. I remember walking out just being super depressed, man. You're you're 100 right. I'm just lying to myself in that I don't. I'd like to think of Indiana's unblemished. Wow, like, really? Wow. Well, because I like Temple of Doom. It's nowhere near as good as Raiders or Crusade. But I like Temple of Doom. I can totally watch that movie. I know some people do. Um. Yeah, it's it's got it's got a couple of moments that I don't hate. So. I don't want to admit that you're right, but you're not wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, so, South Park really nailed it when they had Spielberg and Lucas rape uh, Indiana Jones in that episode two or three times. You know, did you ever hear that story that Spielberg was pissed about it? Or did you tell me that story? Oh, really? No, no, I didn't hear about oh, yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, forget, I forget who was who told me this story that apparently Spielberg was super pissed about it and called Lucas. And I think this, I got this from a friend of mine who's a friend of like one of Lucas's assistants and, and was there. And he said that like Spielberg was so pissed about that episode that he called Lucas and he's like, we're going to go to there. We're going to go to their student and burn that fucking thing down. Burn that. Now who are they to make fun of us? Who are these punks, young punks to make fun of us? We're, yeah. the, you know, we've, we've created such incredible movies. What have they done? Some stupid animated uh, show. And they were just so, he was so, and George was, apparently super chill the whole time and just said, ah, fuck them. We make all this money. Who cares? <laughs> it just apparently it just diffused Spielberg immediately uh, and calmed him down. So, but I thought that was so funny because what, what an incredible amount of, uh, of uh, loss of perspective for Spielberg wow. when he was a young punk uh, faking having an office on, on a studio lot. And they eventually gave him directing jobs because yeah, of his hubris. You know? I think the difference of perspective is, George had been accustomed to being a punching bag. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, and for Spielberg the not. Yeah, yeah. And George knew is like, listen, if that's the worst they've said about you, 
you've had a good directorial career, which he has. Yeah, true. Very good point. Yeah, yeah which yeah. Lucas is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. <laughs> yeah. But he's made true. something so beloved uh, that everybody has a distinct opinion. Yeah, a strong opinion, for sure. Exactly. Um, and that's tough to do within you know cinema to, to just get generations to love yeah. what you've made this this fervently. Yeah. Got its point. Sword. So yeah. it's a good point. Um, all right. Well, there that's our separate uh top 10 lists uh of the top 10 worst movies we've ever seen in theaters. Um, we're gonna find some way to compile this list. I'll grab the bongos in in, in anticipation. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly how we're gonna do this. Uh, I think it'll be quick. We'll just take turns. Yeah, I would personally, ostensibly, I would say. For me, I know that Island of Dr. Moreau is, doesn't succeed at all in the slightest. I don't know why it was made, whereas Indy is like, I fully understand why it was made. It could succeed again. They announced that they're potentially thinking about doing another one. I'm on board. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so to me, Moreau is worse, but that's just me. <sighs> I think it's more eye-catching to start with Crystal Skull. But, okay, I'll defer to you on this one. Moreau, certainly terrible movie. Certainly uh, you were hoping it was going to be good, and then it was just a horrific mess from beginning to end. At least with uh, Indiana Jones, you do get Harrison Ford trying to be a good Indiana Jones in the movie. So uh, you can make a case. Uh, But then I want Batman and Robin at three, for God's sakes. All right, that seems fair. Then I'll take Matrix Revolutions. Okay. Uh, now we've got three squaring off. Yeah. Uh, Minus Star Trek five. What do you got? Uh, I've got eight millimeter, mm. which you've never seen. Right. So I feel like Star Trek five should win because that's usually the way you go. That's usually how you do it. If you haven't seen the movie. That's not how I usually do it. Oh, please. I normally ask the individual. Oh, listen to this. Say, well, you've seen the two, which is the of the two. I can't recall I any episode. Two. I have <laughs> asked you that before. I have. Go back. Listen what to I it. hear you say is, well, you've got this here, but I haven't seen this one. So I feel like. What you I will know. say is, eight millimeters so bad that people have kept you away from seeing it. Yes. I saw Star Trek knowing it was bad. And it wasn't, the stench of it wasn't so terrible that it kept me away from it. Whereas eight millimeters now successfully for two and a half decades stopped you from watching it because universally it is terrible. But Star Trek five is universally accepted as the worst Star Trek movie of a franchise. Some random independent film that didn't do well or wasn't well received. Independent. Joel Schumacher, Nick Cage at his height, mind you. Nick Cage at his face off height. It was made for like $10 million. Um, you don't even know Star that because you've never I've, seen it. You've never done any research on it. I'm not going to do two seconds of research and find out its production budget. And it, I bet it's $10 million. I I'm bet it wasn't much a, at all. I'm going to flip a coin. No, don't flip a coin. You don't. All right. Sorry. 40 million for eight millimeter. That's how much the production budget was. Um, Which is a sizable production budget for a movie. Sure. Those special effects. Sure. Sure. That's fair. Star Trek five. Come on. Star Trek five is. Uh, a bigger, it's a twenty-seven eight million, a twenty-seven million dollar uh, budget, uh, thirty-three million dollar budget rather. So, uh, and it made nothing. It's considered the worst film. 
Okay. Well, it almost take the franchise. So eight millimeter cost more and made less. So I don't know. I don't know if it made less. I don't know if it made it, less. Look up the box office. I'll guarantee you eight millimeter made less than Star. Well, it's because it's not a franchise film. Okay. Yeah. I'm just, I am giving you your numbers back to you. Yes, and I'm telling you, the numbers factored into the perspective of it all. This Means is a franchise. This is a film that almost sank a franchise. It could have sank a franchise. It could have. Eight millimeter, just a random Nicholas Cage. It could have. Eight millimeter could have been. It, it could have added done enough money. They could have made another one of these. They, <laughs> they did make one, Matt. It was called sixteen millimeter. They did a sequel to it. They did not. Yes, they did. Oh my God! Hold on, I'm going to look it up right now. They did make another one. Look, we should just yeah, eight millimeter two was a direct to uh, 2005 direct to video <laughs> thriller uh, with uh, Jonathan Shake, the guy from uh, that thing we do, and Laura Huring. So there was a sequel, guy. There was a sequel. yeah, but but at the same time, that's like saying Blair Witch Two is a direct sequel. It's like no, they just took the name and made whatever the hell they wanted to. That was a terrible sequel. Yeah, I didn't say direct. I just said sequel. I just said sequel. Okay, well. Star Trek has had, you know, numerous bad sequels. In my opinion, this isn't even the worst Star Trek. You're so it's the worst Star Trek. Everybody knows it's the worst Star Trek. It's not. It's not. Why don't we look that up? Yeah, why don't you look that up? Please feel free to look that up. It'll show you. I can't believe you're fighting this art for eight millimeter. You got number one. What do you want here? You just got the last fight. Only in defer only because you got number one, not because I fought for it. I don't know. It didn't come up on the top page of I'm, or, I'm flipping the corner because we're just going to do back and forth dance and neither you won't give it. All right. Uh, you know, I'm right. not going to eight millimeter is way worse than Star Trek five. I was five again. I will never subject myself to eight millimeter ever again. Ridiculous. If Star someone said, Hey, Sophie's choice, you have to watch one of these two movies. I will watch Star Trek five as many times as you want. I want right. a poll. I want a poll from the fans. Well, you fucking won. So enjoy. <laughs> oh, yes. Star Trek five. It is. That's the law of the universe. man. All right. So then you get the next one. Uh, which um, limits. Yeah. And I have Spider-Man three. All right, number, what do you got left? Uh, number five, which is Rocky Five. Uh, that's fine. I don't care. Oh, all right. And I'm just going to put on toys instead of uh, Star Trek Three because we already have a Star Trek movie. Oh, so. fair. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. So we do this? Yep. Awesome. The top 10 worst movies we've seen in a theater. Yeah. At number 10, Toys. At number nine, Rocky Five. At number eight, Spider Man Three. At number seven, Vertical Limit. At number six, Eight Millimeter. At number five, Star Trek Five. At number four, The Matrix Revolutions. At number three, Batman and Robin. At number two, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. And our number one worst movie we saw in the theater is The Island of Dr. Moreau. Moreau. Uh, That's a tough one. Um, that is this 
show. We thank everybody for uh, tuning in and got another topic thunder for you guys coming out in two days after you hear this. So check that out. Our thanks to everybody that supports us over at patreon.com forward slash the top 10 with the number 10. We've, we've actually gotten, we've picked up patrons. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming yeah. aboard. All the new people have come aboard. Look at the riches that you're getting by being a patron of the top 10 show. Yeah, we, we continue to churn out uh, more content. Uh, we had a good idea on a topic thunder that's coming out for some more uh, Patreon content that we might uh, uh, work towards. Uh, yeah. Cobbled together a pretty good idea between the two of us. So I think yep, that's yep. pretty doable. Um, and uh, head over, you know, uh, follow me on Twitter at Matt Nost or the show at Top Ten Show, all spelled out. And uh, just stay current, stay active with us over there. And please check out my other podcast, Embrace the Hate. You can find it anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, just search out Embrace the Hate. And it's me and uh, my buddy Rick shooting the shit. And uh, funniest guy I know, just two guys talking. And Jim Gabbard away. And that is it uh, for me this week. There you go. You can follow me at the Roca says on Twitter and on Instagram. Uh, and uh, please uh, come on over to my YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash John Roca says we just crossed 13,000 subscribers. Thank you so much. Keep coming aboard. We're marching towards 20,000. And if you want, come and find the outlaw nation on Twitch as well. Going to start doing shows and hanging out with you all there as well. So come and uh, subscribe for everything. Have a good time. Uh, and uh, please thank you so much for letting us entertain you during times like this, when I know we know a lot of you all are, you know, suffering through uh, maybe losing jobs or, or or maybe family members who've contracted this thing or just overall fear about what's coming next. Thank you for letting us be one of the, uh, two of the people who entertain you and make you laugh and uh, help you kind of take your mind off things. We appreciate the the uh, chance to do so. That's what I would say. Yep. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for watching this episode of the Top 10 Show. We'll talk to you next time. Adios. Take care.